His name is Maisie. <laughs> and uh, I just want you folks to know it's a pleasure being invited here. I really enjoy it. I enjoy talking about Jesus. And uh, I do this also in my daily life. Sometimes I hear a knock on a door and guess who it might be? The Jehovah's Witnesses or uh, Mormons lately. I shared with them well, two or three times this past year, I think. So I, uh, I brought my harmonica this time. I hope you don't mind. Uh, I'm going to play a song. It might surprise you. This song probably was uh, popular 150 years ago. It's called Wildwood Flower. Uh, probably in the Ap Appalachian Mountains, it was very popular. But I wrote my own verse for this song. And maybe I'll add another one. Here's what I wrote. Jesus Christ, he is Lord. He's the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ, he is Lord. He's my Savior and my God. He is the great I Am and reigns in heaven above. Trust Him now as Savior and live forevermore. See if you can fit it into this. type of topic maybe than you've ever heard about before. I wanted to give you a little message on something different for a change. God is unique. God is different. There's no one else like him. So listen to the following. Talk about the material for a gossip column or a soap opera. Just read Genesis 38. Chapter 38. This little section happened to be in between a greater section. This is uh, about Judah. But just prior to this, the, the guy about coat of many colors, you know Joseph? Just prior to this, his dad said, you've got to go out and find out where all your brothers are grazing the cattle and the sheep and so forth. So he said, yeah, I'll go. So he, he goes out and heads towards a certain area, Larry found out they were up near Dotham. So as he approaches his brothers, shortly thereafter, they schemed among themselves, and let's slay him. They, they hated him. 
because the father showered this coat of many colors on him. And he revealed to them that he had a special dream, that there were sheaves uh, in the field, and his sheaf stood up and made them all bow to him. They didn't like that. It sounded like they were the sheaves. So anyway, they threw Joseph in a pit, and they wanted to kill him at that time. And they were going to dip his garment in a, the blood of an animal and uh, say that a, an animal had torn him apart. But uh, uh, Judah was one of the ones that didn't want to do that. So he kind of got him out of it. And they threw Joseph in the pit. There was no water in it. And the Ishmaelites came by and Judah said, why don't we sell him? I mean, he is flesh and blood, you know. He's one of us. They all had the same father. And uh, so they sold him down uh, into Egypt eventually. But uh, Judah, after this, kind of broke off from the other brothers and uh, sounded like he went south somewhere. I don't know how far away. But he married a... Uh, woman by the name of Shua. And Shua conceived three sons. Ur was the firstborn, then Onan and Shelah. And uh, Ju Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn. Ur's wife's name was Tamar. You probably remember Tamar. But this sounds strange. You know, God is unique. Ur was wicked, and the Lord slew him. It doesn't say how he did it. So Tamar was given to the second son, Onan, as a, you know, for a wife. And Onan displeased the Lord also, so the Lord slew him just as well. Now the situation gets a new twist. Judah said to Tamar, why don't you just hang around, wait until my youngest son is of age, then he will be given to you. But Judah didn't do this. He didn't give his uh, youngest son up whenever he came of age. So Tamar had, prior to this, endowed herself with widow's garments, whatever that is. I, I'm not too familiar with it. But now she put a veil over her face and sat in an open space near to where Judah had his cattle and sheep and so forth. And Judah was her father-in-law. And she wanted to be in an area where he might spot her. And uh, he did. He spotted her. But she had put a veil over her face, and Judah didn't know who it was. And he, he actually thought she was a harlot. And so he gave her a pledge. I mean, even this whole thing sounds, it sounds ridiculous. But uh, she said, well... You don't have any money or anything right now, so give me a pledge. So he gave her a signet, bracelets, and his staff until he would make the payment. Well, he got back home, wherever he was living there at that time, and sent a kid. A kid is actually a young goat. He sent a kid back to where she was, but when uh, the servant got back there, she was gone. Couldn't find, couldn't find him. Well, some period of time goes by, and he found out his daughter-in-law is pregnant. Well, he said, uh, he said, she should be burnt. I don't know if he meant burnt to death or what, but he said, she should be burnt. 
And uh, he thought that, well, he didn't know, he didn't know that he got her pregnant. But when he found out she was pregnant, he said, let her be burnt. And uh, then at that time, as she was brought before them, she said, here's what I received as a pledge. And she showed the signet, the bracelets, and the staff. And Judah said, these are mine. He said, she's more righteous than I am. So he confessed and uh, gave her life. But hold on now. Just think about this. God had a surprise for everyone. Uh, Tamar had twins. One was Zerah and the other was Perez. And Perez was in the lineage of the Messiah, of the Christ. Such a strange situation. Still God used it to accomplish an important event. I wonder if any one of us, as this stuff goes on and on and on here for a few weeks, how would you like to have been the parents of Judah? What would you have said to him? <laughs> Probably we would have said, you've really messed up. How are you going to make it right? But I don't know. God knows what he's doing, doesn't he? So Perez was in the lineage of the Messiah. Now we turn to Joshua, the second chapter. I'm going to give you a couple of these situations, and you can think about them. Joshua, the second chapter. This is a different situation, but equally intriguing. We remember Joshua sent the two spies up into the land, and they came to Jericho. And uh, I don't know how they found out right away, but... Uh, Rahab was a harlot, a prostitute. And when the king of Jericho found out that these two strangers came in, he figured right away they were spies. Could have been from Israel, you know. <clears throat> but who showed them kindness but Rahab herself? And uh, the king was searching for these spies and came to her house and said, we're, basically he was saying, we're told that these two strangers came to your house. Well, she jeopardized her, her own life. She had put them up on the rooftop. The rooftops, many of them were flat. And she lived on the wall of Jericho. So she had hidden them among the stalks of flax. And she had said, well, yeah, they were here, but they left just before the closing of the gate. Pursue them, and, and perhaps you'll find them. And probably you know the rest of the story there. She sent them out hung a scarlet cord over the wall and send, uh, send out these two spies over the back of the wall and said, hang out in the mountains for three days and the people that are going to be searching for you will probably be back by then. So Jericho initially, within a week or two there, was completely destroyed except for Rahab and immediate family and relatives. And a scarlet thread was a safety factor for her and her family. Because the spies had said, if you bring your family in, close relatives and so forth, into your house, they will be spared. Just hang that scarlet cord out the window. 
Why did, Ray, why did God use Rahab the way he did? Because, you know, she had great faith in the God that they served. I think she had greater faith than the Israelites themselves. She said, yes, we noticed and heard, probably through the grapevine, how the parting of the Red Sea, and you people walking through on dry land, and then shortly after that, you destroyed those two great kings like they were nothing. So why did God use Rahab? Because of her faith in the God of Israel. It's as simple as that. She had great faith. God is unique. We see Rahab marrying a person by the name of Salmon, not Solomon, but Salmon. And they had a child by the name of Boaz. Doesn't that sound familiar? Had a child by the name of Boaz. Now there's more. Judges, the 11th chapter. This, I don't know, this touched me when I read this the first time. This is also in the New Testament Hall of Fame, the 11th chapter of Hebrews. Judges, but now you can look back in the Old Testament. Judges, the 11th chapter. Jephthah was the son of Gilead. Now listen to this now. But Jephthah's mother had been a strange woman. The, the brothers, at least, said probably a prostitute. So Jephthah was the son of Gilead, but his mother was a prostitute. Now Gilead's own wife had sons by her. But when these sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out of the house, not wanting to share any inheritance with the rest of them. Does that kind of sound like greed? Could be. But isn't that the way of it? Take everything out on the innocent person. What did Jephthah have to do with the way he was conceived? It had nothing to do with it. He was an, an innocent person in this respect. So, he had nothing to do about the way he was born, just like you and I don't. But when the sons of Ammon invaded the land, who did the Israelites seek to be their captain? You guessed it. By this time, Jethro was a warrior, a very valiant man. So, of course, they said, Jethro, would you come and be our leader, be our captain? And being a man of valor, he gave honor and praise to the God of Israel. That's important. His life really depended on this person, on God. So the Lord blessed the leadership of Jephthah. He overcame his enemies. In fact, I think it says 20 cities he subdued in his pledge to get rid of the enemies. Isn't God gracious? We don't understand some things. How would we have acted if we had been uh, a sister or a brother in that family? Would we have sighted in and said, well, well he got, you got to get rid of this guy. But, but Jephthah is in the genealogy of the Messiah. That's interesting. 
And now come to one of the favorite portions. I'm going to turn to some scripture here in a minute. I'm not leaving the scripture out. Ruth was born of an entirely different race of people than the Hebrews. In the eyes of the religious Jews, Ruth had very little going for her. She was the wrong race, the wrong culture, from the wrong nation. <laughs> they worshipped idols. Chemosh was their main god. I'm going to turn to a couple of verses here and read them. And I want to tell you something. When I first became a Christian, I had hardly no inclination of what this book said. So when I read this, I want to tell you, honestly, I cried. At this particular time, Ruth had come in contact with Naomi because Ruth had married one of Naomi's sons, Mylon and Chilon. They had moved from Bethlehem over into Moab because there was a famine at that time in Bethlehem and Moab evidently had more to offer. So Ruth, so Naomi and her husband Elimelech went over to Moab after they were there a short period of time, her sons married, let's see, well, Oprah and Ruth. I was looking for the reference here. Uh, the sons married Oprah and Ruth. And uh, Elimelech had passed away, and after around 10 years, her two sons had passed away. And she had heard at that time that there was plenty back in Bethlehem where she was from. And she wanted to encourage her daughters-in-law to stay there and rejoin their families and so forth. Uh, Oprah did. But Ruth clung to Naomi. And she, this is uh, Naomi speaking, she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back into her people and into her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you, or to return from following after you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Thy people should be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do also to me, and more also, of anything but death, parch you and me. That moved me a lot. Most of us know the story of Ruth. It becomes very clear that Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, was a godly mentor. And she spoke not with just words, with actions. So Ruth <clears throat> fell in love with the God that Naomi followed. Ruth married Boaz, and she conceived and gave birth to Obed. The lineage begins again. Obed begot Jesse, Jesse David, and so the lineage for the Messiah is rejuvenated. It's rejuvenated again. 
God wasn't concerned with Ruth's background, that she was of this strange country, they worshiped strange gods, but now God was concerned because Ruth had trust in him. Ruth fell in love with Naomi's God. God will use that kind of a person always. It could be you. It could be me. Pray that God would use us. But God is always consistent. He's not a respecter of persons. He recognizes true faith always. We can't hide it. We don't even want to try. He recognizes true faith and you know what he says in, in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 10? He's, Jesus said, be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. He didn't say maybe. He said, be faithful unto death, and I'll give you a crown of life. There's no such thing, I mean, think about this in our, our daily perspective. There's no such thing as being born on the wrong side of the tracks, trust me. They never were created in Christian belief and teaching. So praise God, there's hope for every one of us. Don't? The point is, God does not care about the circumstances of our birth or our background. But we must understand the mighty way that God used all these people. Remember, he can use us. Faith in God is demanded of all people in order to be acceptable, acceptable to God and have the promise of eternal life, and that's heaven. In John 8, 24, Jesus said, actually he's speaking here, he said, I say unto you that unless you believe that I am who I say I am, you will die in your sins. Prior to this, in chapters 6 and 7, he was telling the people that he was God come in the flesh. And probably a lot of the Jewish people, they said, oh, sure, oh, sure. He said, now he looks at them and he says, unless you believe who I say that I am, you will die in your sins. That still is applicable today. Some people may, oh, they know of Jesus. They celebrate Christmas, they celebrate Easter, but watch their lifestyle. Does their lifestyle end when we walk out of the church building? Our lifestyle as a Christian is 24-7. A person may say, well, you don't want to use profanity in church, but when you go out of the building, the building is supposed to be holy. Every day of our life is holy unto the Lord, not just Sunday. Oh, we can't do this on Sunday. We can't do that on Sunday. Well, I'll tell you something. I had my own business at one time. And uh, this young man that worked for me, his father had been a minister. Now, I, I hadn't better say the church. <laughs> it was a fundamental church. But his dad had been a minister. And on Sundays, they sat around. The children and the parents sat around. You couldn't toss a ball on Sunday you couldn't do hardly anything but breathe and eat. But after a period of time, his dad runs off with the secretary 
and leaves the family. So, I don't know, take it for what it's worth. Our Christian life is 24-7. You can't do something and get away with it in God's sight. He knows if you really love him. So faith in God's Son is demanded of all people. It's not just a suggestion. It's not just a good idea. It's demanded that we believe in him and trust him. It's important. What does uh, John tell us in Second uh, John, the second chapter? He said, if any man has the Father and not the Son, he has neither the Father nor the Son. Think about that. He has neither the Father nor the Son. And when I say Son, He is God come in the flesh. We have to believe in that. These people will say, well, I believe in God. Well, what about the Son? Is He just a byword? By no, we must believe that Jesus is who He said He was. He said, I am God come in the flesh. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other under heaven whereby man might be saved than through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. True. No one comes to the Father except through him. Remember that when these people knock on your door. I don't turn them away, but uh, the main thing I say is be prepared. Know the Bible. Study it to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed of right, rightly dividing or rightly understanding God's word. Trust me, when I first became a Christian, I had a lot of reading to do. I didn't know Genesis from Revelation. I'll be honest with you. I had to sit down and take a look at this, a long look. And to this day, I'm still reading it. So, we had no say and no choice in the way we came into the world. We couldn't choose the nationality of our parents. We don't, after we become Christians, we don't count on our education to make us great, whether we're rich or poor. It doesn't make any difference. Where do we stand with our faith? God is saying the first birth is not enough. I'm going to let you make your own decision on how you would like to be born the next time. This is what God is saying. You didn't have a choice. I gave you your parents, but now you hear the message. You heard the gospel of Christ. You heard for what he did for us on Calvary. Now it's your choice. Do you want to be born again? It's your choice. We shouldn't be afraid to tell people that. I had a person knock on my door, happened to be the back door this time, came in through the garage, had a little boy with him, and isn't, they're saying, isn't the world's situation terrible? I knew right away that they were Jehovah's Witnesses. And I started to talk to him, and he started to run away. I said, have you ever heard of the new birth? He said, oh, we don't believe in that stuff. I said, well, that's too bad. I said, I'm going to tell you about the new birth. So I told him anyway, in John, the third chapter. And uh, he just kind of halfway turned around and walked out with his little boy. 
But you know, in the, in the midst of all this, being I was talking about God is unique, do you think Jesus died for Jehovah's Witnesses? Absolutely. Did he die for the Mormons? Absolutely. Let's bring them up to par. Let's share the real gospel with them. They, Mormons believe that Jesus is deity, but they don't believe he's God come in the flesh. Think about that. So we have leverage. We have leverage. There's a lot of things. I won't even get into that now. But Jesus said in John 3, 3, as he's talking to Nicodemus, he says, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. What is, what is he just saying there? He says, once the gospel story is given to you, either you fall in love with Jesus, or you're not with it. It's as simple as that. We, that is the new birth that's falling in love with Christ. We shouldn't be ashamed at all to say that. Remember in John, now this is after Jesus talks about the new birth. The next portion of Scripture says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's our, our, that's our position in life. We're going to lift up Jesus. How? By our daily life. Like Naomi affected Ruth. Ruth right away knew Naomi was genuine. She spoke with actions as well as words. Folks, the way of the cross leads home. Period. Our birth through our parents is history. And it's the same as everyone else. We didn't choose our birth, our birth parents. God chose them. So if we haven't already chose to give our lives to the Lord Jesus, why not today? I can't think of a better day. Joshua said in his farewell sermon, his farewell speech, this goes back in the Old Testament again. Uh, <clears throat> he said, choose you this day who you will serve. He says, if you want to go ahead and serve those on the other side of the flood, those infidels, if you want that kind of life, serve them. But he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Praise God. God wants us. Will he let him use us? Today is a new day and a new beginning. A new relationship with Jesus. It's before us right now. And all I can say is, let's not disappoint him. Here I am, Lord. Send me. You don't have to go to a foreign country. You can go to the person across the street. You can go to your neighbor. You can go to your community. But let's go. Let's be sharing. Jesus is worth it. Not everybody's going to agree with you. I've had some strong discussions with these Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. The Jehovah's Witnesses one time, I says, well, God has a plan. Listen to his, listen to his plan. It started in Isaiah 7:14. Behold, a virgin will conceive. Bring forth a son. And his name is what? Emmanuel. God with us. I said, let's not disappoint Jehovah. Don't be afraid to use that term Jehovah. It's biblical. 
we are followers of Jehovah God through Christ our Lord. Because God is unique, think about this, He will oversee this upcoming election. Let Him be in control. I'm not going to tell you how to vote. I know who I'm... <laughs> I know who I'm going to vote for. And all I can say is, His will be done. That's my closing thought. Let's pray. Oh, I thank you, Lord, for these gracious people that have come out here to serve you today. I just pray that... Uh, what was said will bring each one of us, including myself, closer to you, Father. You are the greatest. You are unique. You're different. There's no one like you. Help us to understand that. You work miracles. You do things that we don't comprehend and understand, but it's your way, Lord. And so I ask your blessing upon each and every one today. As we go forth, as we go out of this building, we know that we're going to take you with us through your son Jesus. Just help us to be good servants and good stewards for you, Father. And bless us as we share this word with others. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.